that word of hope, we'll uh, make sure we get our hope candle lit here, and we will light the second candle, candle for peace, in a little bit. If you were here last Sunday, you saw the fun with the kids attempting to light the candle. That almost worked out. Uh, So uh, around our dinner table, we do these different devotionals and prayers, and um, one prayer recently said something like, uh, God, open our hands to you, open our hearts to you, uh, open our eyes to you. And my four-year-old, now just turned five-year-old daughter, said, and our brains to you, open our brains to you. And uh, I looked at her and I said, "Uh, Rainy, where's your brain?" And she said, in my stomach. (laughs) Apparently, she's a gut person. So Jenna's going, Rainy, in here. Uh, So with that, let's say a word of prayer. God, we do pray that you would open our hands to you, open our hearts to you, open our minds to you, open our entire beings to you, God, to receive from you. God, for those who are hurting this morning and need uh, a fresh word of hope and peace from you. Uh, God, give us that word. We we all need to hear from you this morning and know that you are present to us. God, uh, may we be present to you. In the name of Jesus, everyone said? Amen. Okay, Uh, we're in Luke 1. This is the second week of Advent, the series we're doing through Luke chapter 1 leading up to Christmas Eve. And uh, last week, we looked at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and Zechariah receives this vision. Uh, An angel appears to him in the temple and tells him, uh, you're going to have a child, Elizabeth will bear a child, Uh, and they're both well past years of of being able to have children, and so this comes as a shock to Zechariah. Uh, He doesn't quite know what to do with it, so the angel tells him, well, I'll help you with that. You won't be able to talk for the next nine months. Um, And uh, it's an unexpected story, and the story we're going to look at today is an unexpected story, and there are uh, things uh, about it that are hard and difficult, and um, it it makes me think of uh, seasons of life where different things can happen to us that are unexpected, and and the question is, what are we going to do with the unexpected? For me, I think about... This season of life, uh, my, my wife and I have been married 20 years, and um, about 14 years ago, a little over 14 years ago, so we've been married about five, six years, uh, some of our best friends in the world come to us and say, hey, and, and they were in real estate, and they say, hey, we found this house on 10 acres, and we want you to come with us and build a house out there. And we want this other couple in our community and this other couple, so four, four couples, we go out there. Uh, three of us build houses, and uh, we're experiencing life together, and uh, it's messy, and it's beautiful, and it, I mean, it, the, the dream, we'll all be here for the rest of our lives. We'll raise our kids here. Uh, and then the housing crash happened, and our friends who were in real estate, their house went into foreclosure, and, and another couple, uh, they were in, uh, went into an investment property with couple number one, and they were forced to sell their house in order to salvage this uh, investment property. And the other couple had a short sale. And long story short, it, it's just Jenna and I now out here in, in this community that we had dreamed of 
uh, and this unexpected reality hits us of, man, this thing we thought we had uh, isn't happening. And we remained close with those couples. We continued to do life with them, but it, w- it was different, right? They weren't there physically. Uh, and as I reflect back on that, I, I think about uh, the process that God invited us into, into coming out to California. And I, I just can't imagine that Jenna and I would have taken the risk to move our family across the country if all those couples were still there. I just can't imagine we would even, it would even be on our radar, that we'd even consider it. And so just looking at how God can work in and through hard, grievous situations to to bring about something new and beautiful. Uh, I I think about my friend Adam, uh, and Jenna and I are close friends with his parents. His parents, not quite old enough to be our parents, and Adam and his sister Chantel, not quite young enough to be our kids, so kind of like a aunt and uncle and a niece and nephew, if you will. And um, Chantel is getting married, and she asked me to do the ceremony, and it's a beautiful celebration. And uh, Adam, uh, not long after that, ends up moving in with Jenna and I, and we have two little ones at the time, and Adam's living with us, and he meets a girl. And she comes over to the house, and we get to know her, and she's amazing. And I'm like, dude, don't mess this up. This girl, man, do not mess this up. Uh, And fast forward several months, we moved to California. Several months later, Adam calls me. Hey, I popped the question. She said, yes. Will you fly back to Michigan and do the wedding? Dude, I'm in. Absolutely. You bet. A few months later, I'm back in Michigan, do the wedding, beautiful celebration. Uh, not long, within the first year, they have a baby, and so our friends, man, they, they are grandparents, and they are celebrating life, and uh, a few months later, she walks out the door. She leaves him. Uh, and it's just this heart-wrenching, horrible moment. Uh, he's going through trauma, and I'm sure she was too, in her own way, whatever was going on with her. And then I think about our dear friends, the parents, and what they're going through. As, you know, people coming up to them and saying, uh, congratulations on the grandbaby. Congratulations. How are they doing? Well, they're, they're separated. They're getting divorced. Uh, And I, I tell these stories because I imagine in some way, one of these two stories, or maybe both, connect with you and your story in some way. And I tell these stories because I, I want us to remember that in some way, these stories, this story we're going to look at today from 2,000 years ago, it, it has something to say to our story. Uh, sometimes, if I can have the next slide, this painting, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, th- this is his painting of the passage we're going to look at today. It's the Annunciation, the announcement, Gabriel arriving before Mary. And, and, you know, he paints Mary as this really queenly figure in this beautiful, ornate home. And uh, I think some, and I love this painting. I love da Vinci. Uh, but I think sometimes we kind of glorify these biblical characters in a way. Uh, and, and I want us to remember that. Life was hard for them, too. Life is hard. And life was hard for them, too. Uh, For Mary, uh, she is not yet married. 
and she's carrying the Son of God. For her parents, what, what do you say? Uh, angel, Holy Spirit, uh, how do you explain that? Uh, that this is uh, a small community of people and everybody knows. It's scandalous. We don't get to hear that story. We can only imagine what Mary's parents went through. We can only imagine what, what the scandal must have felt like in this small town. But I can tell you this, I, I don't think it was easy. I don't think it was easy. Um, and so we pick up this story in Luke 1, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So it's the same angel that appeared to Zechariah. Now he's in Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, this idea of being pledged to be married, it's helpful for us to understand that this is uh, beyond serious in the first century. So this is as if they're married, just not consummating that marriage yet. And so uh, it would be... um, Pledges made, promises made, documents signed, uh, really official. It's as good as married without actually tying the knot quite yet. And so in order to break that engagement off would be a really, really serious thing. It's a serious thing in our day and age for an engagement to be broken off, but uh, not as serious as the first century and what would be required of breaking an engagement off in the first century. And so Joseph is still at home living with his parents. Mary is at home living with her parents. And after about a year passes it, uh, is the general time. Then there will be a week-long celebration and wedding, and they will get married. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, this idea of highly favored, it actually says something more about the one doing the favoring than it does the one who is favored. Uh, the, the Greek word here is the same word as grace. You, you who are highly graced. You who have received grace. Uh, that's each one of us too, isn't it? You who have received grace. We have all received grace upon grace upon grace. We, we all have received grace to be carriers of the divine. Uh, Mary was a carrier of the divine in an especially unique way, but we've all been invited to be carriers of the divine to the world around us. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, what kind of greeting might this be? Now, there was a Jewish folktale called Tobit, and it was about this, uh, this fallen angel who uh, was very jealous uh, of a human girl. Uh, and every time she would get married on the night of the wedding, he would kill the bridegroom. He'd kill the husband. Uh, and then it happened again and it happened again. And so if Mary has any idea of this Jewish folktale, she is highly troubled. She's wondering, what kind of greeting is this? <laughs> is this bad or is this good? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor. You have found grace with God. Uh, Same words, right? 
do not be afraid. Uh, this is the refrain all throughout the scriptures. Fear not, fear not, do not be afraid. Same thing Gabriel said to Zechariah uh, in the temple when Zechariah was freaking out. He said, do not be afraid. I think it's just uh, angel training 101. Uh, you appear to a human, you've got to tell them to not be scared. And that's what they do almost every time. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now these are words that the Jewish people have been waiting for for ages and ages. They have been waiting for the one who would be the true ruler. They have been waiting for the one who would be the true king. They have been waiting for one who would come and reign with justice and righteousness and benevolence and love and mercy. They have been waiting for these words, and now these words are delivered to Mary. The one you've been waiting for is coming, and Mary, it'll come through you. These words uh, have been promised from millennia ago. We can have the next slide. In Genesis 3, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So after after the beauty of creation and all the glory of creation and and God birthing creation uh, as a gift to all humanity and creating humans to care for it. Uh, The first humans chose their own way. And there's this conversation with a serpent and Eve eats the fruit and she gives it to Adam and he eats the fruit and then God comes to the garden and says, what happened? What what did you do? And and Adam's like, well, it's the woman's fault. And the woman's like, it's the serpent's fault. And, And God says this to the serpent. And so for ages... In ages, humanity has been waiting for a serpent crusher, one who would come and crush evil, who would defeat evil, who would bring an end to all evil and brokenness. Humanity has been waiting for this day. And these words are spoken to Mary. This will happen through you. I I love this painting. It's uh, painted by a woman named Grace Remington. calls it the Virgin Mary and Eve, and it's this beautiful image of the long-awaited promise coming to fruition in and through a teenage girl, Mary. And of course, Mary, uh, being a virgin, is a little curious about this whole thing. She says, so how will this be? since I'm a virgin? Honest question, I would say, right? Uh, So the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Uh, Gabriel is reminding us of the ancient, ancient image of the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation. 
God bringing life out of the waters. That the Spirit hovered and creation burst forth. And what Gabriel is saying to Mary is that in the same way the Spirit's going to hover over you and conceive the one who will bring about a whole new creation right in the midst of this one. That this is going to happen miraculously by the Holy Spirit hovering over you in the same way the Spirit hovered over the waters. And so, here is the opportunity for Mary to say, "Mm, no thanks, not me. Uh, You chose the wrong person. Um, I don't don't believe this legend, but there is a legend that says uh, Mary was not the first person that Gabriel appeared to. She was the first one to say yes. Uh, That Mary was the first one to say, no matter the risk, even though I may be ostracized, even though uh, I might be kicked out of my home, my community, even though I I don't know how I could provide for this child that will be within me, even though the risks are great, I will do it. I will say yes. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary said yes. She said yes to something that was incredibly risky. And so I wonder, as we look at Mary's story and the risks involved in Mary's story, in what way does it speak to our story? And so I ask myself the question, and I ask you, what what is God inviting you to say yes to? Something... uh, Maybe that is risky, that you don't want to say yes to, but what is it for you that God may be inviting you to say yes to? Uh, Meister Eckhart says this. He says, what good is it to me if this eternal birth of the divine son takes place unceasingly but does not take place within me? And so next question, how is God asking you to give birth to the holy In what ways is God inviting you as one who is a carrier of the divine that that Paul calls us uh, God's temple, that that God dwells within us by his spirit? Uh, In what way, as carriers of the divine, are we being invited to give birth to the holy, to those around us? Uh, And so maybe in order to adequately answer that question, we need to back up a step and ask this question. Uh, Where in your life are you in need of God's peace? Uh, Maybe relationally for you, uh, in your marriage, or with your children, or with your parents, or in the workplace, or in the school place, wherever you find yourself, where are you in need of God's peace? Because uh, if we're in need of peace, it's incredibly difficult uh, if we are not experiencing God's peace uh, to be people who are giving birth to the holy. Uh, for me in my own life, I just simply recognize that uh, uh, this last week, I, there are areas of my life that I'm out of rhythm, that I'm out of sync. And it, it made me think back to Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Zechariah was silent for nine months. And 
Elizabeth went into seclusion for five months and, and how, how deeply in need we are, especially in a culture running at the pace our culture is running at, to find those spaces of silence and solitude and receiving God's peace and saying yes to God's peace. Uh, we need to fight for those spaces. I need to fight for those spaces and, and make them happen so that we can receive God's peace and then give birth to the holy, to those around us. And, and so the last question, uh, where is God inviting you to be an instrument of peace? Um, one last story before we light our candle for peace. Uh, so uh, George H.W. Bush passed away. Um, and when he was president, I was in high school still and then early college, and I just what, didn't care. So I, I have no idea whether the man was a good president or not. So this isn't a political statement. Uh, so I do know he was president for four years. And when he was running for his second term, was beaten by Bill Clinton, who was president for eight years, who then George W. Bush was president for eight years. And when George W. Bush was president, for eight years, there were two major nat uh, natural disasters. Uh, the first was the tsunami, which sadly killed 250 million people. Uh, and 100,000, sorry, 250,000. Uh, and then there was Hurricane Katrina. And when I heard that George H.W. Bush had passed away, I, I didn't remember anything about his presidency, but what I did remember was this. After the tsunami and after Katrina, Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush got together and toured the nation together, raising millions and millions of dollars for those affected by the tsunami and those affected by Katrina. That's what I remembered about him after I heard he died. Uh, two ex-presidents from completely opposite ends of the political spectrum saying yes to a risk. And they became friends. Put their political differences aside and said there are people in desperate, desperate need. And we have the capacity to help. Let's help. And they did. Uh, I wonder for us, where is God inviting us to be an instrument of peace? Uh, despite whatever differences there may be, how are we invited to bring peace uh, into areas of brokenness, into areas that, that feel despairing? Uh, how are we carriers and containers of God's peace? The, this bread and this cup, out of all the things they represent, one of them is the peace that God made with us. Uh, that Christ on the cross is an instrument of peace, bringing reconciliation between God and humans and between human and humans. Uh, that, that we are invited into this space of partaking of the bread and the cup, which represent the body and blood of Christ, who one of his names given to him is Prince of Peace. He is the ultimate 
peaceful one and the ultimate one that gives us peace. Uh, when we close our service and I, and I give a benediction every Sunday, I say, may the grace and peace of Christ be yours. Because we need it, and we need to hear it every time, don't we? We need that grace. We need that peace. Uh, so as I write, uh, as I light this candle for peace, uh, at the next slide, I want to pray this prayer together. It's attributed to St. Francis. Let's pray this together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. God, we long to be a people who recognize the divine within us and to give birth to that, to spread your love, your hope, your peace, your joy in every corner of our realm of influence. So God, forgive us when we fall short and inspire us to live as your agents of peace. God, as we take the bread and dip it in the cup, remind us of your peace. And I pray that you would fill us up with your peace so that we can share it back out. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.